I invite you to grab your Bibles, whether it's a paper version, a digital version, and turn to Isaiah chapter 1, or rather Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah here in Isaiah chapter 6. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 678. This is the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I will dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word here in Isaiah through the prophet. We thank you for its message and how it speaks to us even still today. And so would you use Pastor Chris as he brings forth your message and communicates it to this congregation gathered before you at this moment. May your power through your spirit be used to bring honor and glory to you in our focus on Jesus Christ and the God who saves. Amen. Amen. Good praise and singing. I'm so thankful for our worship and praise. Even on a Sunday when yesterday uh, Randy was putting uh, our flags up, which I always appreciate his diligence and faithfulness, and we purposely put the flag of Israel and a Muslim nation, Turkey, next to each other, reminding us that all nations, amen, need the gospel. Little did I know that I'd go home and turn on the news and see 
what is happening, but what we are doing in this month of October doesn't change regardless of the circumstances of the world. For the next three Sundays, we want to prepare our hearts and minds and wills for our annual World Outreach Celebration. And maybe you're new and you're like, what is a World Outreach Celebration? Well, all that it is is in its name. It's our annual focus on world missions. It's a time to recommit to outreach for all people groups, for all nations, and it's an opportunity to celebrate our missionary God as his missionary people along with our missionary partners, as Pastor Bruce has pointed out, who are going to be here. You see, missions is motivated by grace, not guilt. It's motivated by God's favor, not force or even finances. It's motivated by God's provision, not our performance. And so we have much to celebrate when it comes to missions. It's not a time to be, oh, it's missions. No, this is the heart of God. And our theme is his mission is our mandate. And so this morning and the next two Sundays, I want us to focus on the message, the mission, and the means that God uses to reach the unreached. And hopefully through these messages, we'll see why our mandate is not just once a year. It's not even for simply a month, but it's for every day of our lives until we take our last breath. No sooner do we read this captivating chapter, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, and we are drawn into God's mission. Did you see it there in verse 3? God's mission is to fill the earth with his glory, to multiply image bearers that glorify him and spread out and fill the earth. It was true from the first day of creation, and it's still true in this gospel era. Isaiah 6 invites us to draw near to the thrice holy God whose glory fills the earth. Now, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah is a gospel messenger with a gospel message on a gospel mission. And we know that because the apostle John says in his gospel this pertaining to Isaiah 6. He quotes Isaiah 6, and then John says, these things Isaiah said because he saw Christ's glory and he spoke of him. You see, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, predicts Christ's life and ministry from the cradle to the cross to the crown. In fact, Isaiah gives us the term gospel with New Testament meaning all throughout his book. I'm going to read these verses. They're probably familiar to many of you. Isaiah 49, get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Isaiah 52, 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. That's the word for gospel. 
who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news, gospel news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to, pre- to prisoners. Now, here's the bottom line of all that. The book of Isaiah is a gospel-saturated book that reveals and applies the gospel to the hearts of his ears. And chapter 6 reveals that as a repeated pattern. I want you to see the pattern. Look at verse 1. The Lord reveals, I saw. And then look at Isaiah's response, verse 5. Then I said. Look again at verse 8. The Lord speaks, then I heard. And then Isaiah responds, then I said. And then in verse 9, the Lord speaks again, he said. And then Isaiah responds a third time, then I said. What is the significance of that pattern? The significance is this. The gospel message is revealed and applied in Isaiah 6. It's revealed to be applied. God graciously reveals himself and Isaiah responds by faith. God takes the initiative. That's grace. And we are to be responsive. That's faith. And that's what we're praying for this month. That's what we're praying for at the end of October. We're asking God to reveal Himself, and we will respond by praying and giving, by going and sending, by mobilizing and welcoming, by learning and loving. There we want to see God. Amen? High and lifted up as we sing, as we see but we need to respond. And that's why mission exists. The Father initiates by seeking to save sinners. The Son is sent to seek and to save the lost. And the Spirit effectively calls and convicts the elect through the gospel. And sinners respond by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But that begs a question. What is the gospel message? And before you quickly say, well, I know what it is. What are the essentials of the gospel message? I've sat in graduate courses of Bible, and this question was put forth. What is the gospel? What are the essentials? And godly, knowledgeable, caring pastors were all in that room. And pretty soon there's this big debate. What is it? What is it? What are the essentials? Well, Isaiah 6 reveals the five essentials of the gospel. Yes, chapter 6 is Isaiah's call to be a prophet, but it also reveals the essentials of the gospel message. And these essentials can be found in both the Old and the New Testament, as you're going to see. Listen, these six essentials of the gospel are revealed to Isaiah, and they're applied to his heart. God wants to do the same for you. 
so that you and I can go and share and proclaim the good news to those who are lost. Now, what are those five essentials? Let me give you the overview before we dive in. God's position, our condition, Christ's provision, your conversion, and new creation. That is the essence of the gospel. And so let's dive in and look at these five essentials from Isaiah 6. The first is this, God's position. He is the holy king who rules with glory and grace. Notice when this took place in verse 1. It took place in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, that may not be significant to us, but it was significant to Isaiah. King Uzziah had a long and successful reign as the king of Judah. In fact, it was so successful that Uzziah and the people of Judah began to trust in themselves, forgetting who had brought their success. You see, Uzziah began well, but he did not finish well. His death is mentioned here as a symbol of the decline of Judah into increasing immorality, idolatry, and into apostasy. And Isaiah, who might well have been a relative of King Uzziah, was probably used to spending time in the palace with his relative, the king. And in light of his death... He goes to the temple to worship Yahweh. Now, given that background, what do you think Isaiah was feeling and thinking? Decline, discouragement, death, despair. I mean, I picture Eeyore, gloom and doom, head hung low, all is going to fail, all is a disaster, the king is dead. But right there, right there in the temple of backslidden Jerusalem, the Lord reveals himself to Isaiah. Isaiah was thinking of the empty throne, and he sees one who is sitting on the throne in heaven, one who never dies, one who never changes, one who is rule fills the earth with his glory. And notice what Isaiah says. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of His robe filling the temple. We see four aspects of God's position, which is where the gospel begins. It begins with God, not us. The first aspect we see is He is sovereign. He is sovereign, and He must reveal Himself to us. We cannot reach up to Him. We cannot bring Him down to us. He must reveal Himself to us. He sees a revelation of the sovereign God. Look at that word. He says, I saw the Lord. Notice in your Bibles, that word Lord is is not capitalized. It's not the word Yahweh. It's the word Adonai in Greek for sovereign, master, ruler. He is large and in charge. God's position is revealed to be the sovereign creator of all things, 
the Lord of angelic armies, the mighty God, the King who rules over all. God's position is so sovereign, it has to be revealed to us. Secondly, we see God exalted. His position is He's exalted. He is second to none. We sang that already, that there is none like Him. There's none that can compare to His glory and grace. Isaiah sees the exaltation of the king sitting on the throne. Notice, he sits. He's not pacing. He's not anxious. He's not, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with the Middle East? What am I going to do with my people? What am I going to do? He is sitting, which implies and visualizes he is ruling. He is large and in charge. He and his throne are high and lifted up. He is exalted. There is no one greater. He is second to none. God's position is exalted. Second, thirdly, the third aspect of his position is, is he is glorious. He is glorious. His servants fill the earth with the praise of his glory. Isaiah sees the glorification of the king. His train of his robe. And by the way, the longer your robe in that culture, the greater your authority. His robe fills the temple. And the whole earth is full of his glory. In fact, he is so glorious, Isaiah doesn't even see his face. All he sees is that his robe fills the temple, preventing his eyes from actually seeing the face of the holy God. And why is he this glorious? The seraphim tell us. The seraphim are those angelic beings whose name means burning ones. They stand ready to serve this king, showing us what we should be doing. Ready, your wish is my command. And they are flying around, chanting to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of angel armies. The whole earth is filled of His glory. And their name, Seraphim, means burning ones. Why? Because they are in the presence of God's thrice holy fire. You know, in the Hebrew language, they repeat words two times for emphasis. So they would say, holy, holy, to be emphasized. But there's only one time in the Bible where a word is repeated three times for emphasis. And it's here. God is holy, holy, and I mean holy like none other. There is no other God. There is no other person. There is no other thing on earth that is worthy of our worship and our praise. There is nothing that deserves your all more than this exalted God. And so they praise Him, and their praise shakes the foundation of the temple. Listen, we should praise this God in such a way that the floor of this church shakes. Listen, and I I, I think we have sang better and louder of recent. I've asked others, and they have noticed it too. But let us not let down. Listen, Don't stand silent. Don't, don't just mumble through it. Don't think about other things. Lift your voice up and shake the rafters 
with the glory and the praise of our God. God's position is glorious, and his servants are to fill the earth with the praise of his glory. But there's a fourth aspect here. His position is gracious. It is gracious. Eager to be reconciled with the undeserving. Isaiah sees the compassion of the king, who is not only glorious and exalted and sovereign, but he's gracious. And why do I say that? Because in verse 3, we see Lord mentioned a second time, but this time in your Bibles, it's in small caps. And that means the sovereign master is also the I am Yahweh. He rules to redeem a people. And we should say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Because that's all because of who you are. It's all because this is who you are. The sovereign God stoops down to reveal himself to unclean sinners like Isaiah, like Judah, like Israel, like the Gentile nations, like the Muslim people on the Gaza Strip. It doesn't matter who you are. He stoops down to show himself to us. God's position is compassionate. He's eager to show grace to the undeserving who are only worthy of his judgment. This is the first essential of the gospel. It's who God is. If you miss this, you miss the gospel. Until we see God for who he truly is, we will never see ourselves for who we truly are. Until we see God's position as holy, we will not understand that our condition is unholy and sinful. Isaiah sees God's position and immediately confesses his condition in the presence of the thrice holy God. And that is the second essential of the gospel. In light of God's position, we see our condition. And what is our condition? In light of who he is, in light of who I am, I am helpless and hopeless and a rebel at heart. Look at verse 5. Then I said, then I said, once I saw his position, then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined. I am lost. I am utterly hopeless. I am utterly helpless. Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord, of hosts. Now, basically what Isaiah is doing is confessing his condition. And just to put it in the vernacular, I'm in deep, deep trouble. Okay? Okay. Let you fill in what you want. But that's what it is. I am in deep, deep trouble. And so we see the aspects of our condition in Isaiah. And the first of this is is this. Like Isaiah, our condition is one of condemnation. Condemnation. It's all in that little three-letter word, woe. Woe is me, for I am ruined. 
I am utterly lost. Listen, when you see woe in the Bible, you think, oh no. Woe means, oh no. God's judgment is coming, and I have no way of evading it. I have no way of escaping it. It is coming. Woe is me. I am helpless. I am hopeless before a holy, holy, and I mean really holy God. I am condemned. Secondly, our condition is one of corruption, not just condemnation. It isn't an unfair condemnation. The condemnation is worthy of us because we are corrupt from our very hearts. He says, because I'm a man of unclean lips. What does unclean mean? Unclean means I am unworthy to enter the very presence of God. I'm too corrupt to come before God and ask for anything, much less demand anything. You see, Isaiah is not asking for anything. He is totally dependent on grace alone from God alone. If this is who you are, and I see now my condition, I can't ask for anything. I can't demand anything. I can't negotiate. I can't explain to you how uh, my goodness outweighs my lostness. I, I, I can't explain to you that I'm better than my neighbor, so you ought to let me into your presence. No. Isaiah is just there. And why does he say unclean lips? Did Isaiah have a, you know, what, 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 did he have rot in his talk? You know, like we just learned? Uh, one commentator speculates that Isaiah's pet sin was speech. You know, he had rotten talk. But the reality is he doesn't say, this is my pet sin. He says, I live in a people with unclean lips. So why does he say lips? He says lips because from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if you trace the speech sin in Isaiah. Isaiah 59, 13 says this, transgressing and denying the Lord, turning away from our God, speaking oppression, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving in and uttering from the heart lying words. Isaiah 40, 10 says, 47, 10 says, for I have said, for you have said in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. Oh, that must be God talking. No, no, no. That is humanity in their pride. I am, and there is no God besides me. And God says, uh-uh, that's in your heart. That's the pride of your heart. Isaiah 32, 6, For a fool speaks nonsense, and his heart inclines towards wickedness, to practice ungodliness, and to speak error against the Lord. When you trace this concept... The unclean lips stands for the unclean heart. The external sins that we commit in word and deed reflect a horrible, corrupt heart on the inside. Our condition is condemnation and corruption, but it gets worse. Number three, our condition is one of contamination. Contamination. He says, I live among a people of unclean lips. We're all in this problem. 
We're all in this condition. Sin is like a virus, and it's highly contagious, and it contaminates those around us. So think about how bad our condition is. We are sinners at the moment of conception, all the way from Adam and Eve. We are sinners by choice. We immediately, I mean, you that have children, you know, it's in there. And it came from you. And it comes forth very early on. No. Mine. (laughs) Take. Grab. We are sinners by conception. We are sinners by choice. But we are also sinners by contamination. We live among sinners and we contaminate one another. The fourth aspect of his condition offers some hope. Contrition. Contrition. He ends by saying this, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Now think about that. He sees God, and he doesn't negotiate. He doesn't ask for it. What he says is, I'm in deep trouble. Woe means oh no. Isaiah is not proud before God. He is humble. Isaiah is not strong before God. He is weak. Isaiah is not confident before God. He is broken. Isaiah confesses his condition is one of being helpless before the glory of God and one who is hopeless apart from the grace of God. He just stands there. A sinner condemned. And you and I, we stand with him. The gospel is God's position. The gospel is our condition. And we are fallen, and we are sinners, and we have no hope, and we have no help other than God. This is the second essential. And if you miss it, you miss the gospel. When you see God for who he really is, then you see yourself for who you really are. When you see God's position as holy, you realize my condition is unholy and I stand condemned. When Isaiah sees God's position, he confesses his condition in the presence of God. He is unworthy to be in his presence. He has no right to ask anything. He has no way of earning his way, negotiating his way out of his condition. He stands with a contrite heart and he waits. Because that's all he could do. That's all he could do. Wait. What will he do? His only hope is the I am God. That Lord with capital letters in your Bible, the I am God, the promise keeper, the ever-present redeemer. His only hope is the one who promised Adam and Eve after their sin, a male seed from a woman would be the head crusher of the heel biter, the snake and the serpent. The one who promised Noah he would not destroy all creation due to the depravity of mankind. The one who promised Abraham, the former moon worshiper, to bless him and his seed so they could be a blessing to all these nations. The one who promised Moses that Israel would one day be a kingdom of priests who serve the Lord and mediate grace 
to the nations and beat plowshares, beat swords into plowshares, and to cease all war. The one who promised David that his seed would reign over an eternal kingdom. The one who promised a new covenant that would create new hearts by the indwelling. His only hope is this promise-keeping God. And all of those Old Testament promises point to the provision of Jesus Christ. And that is the third essential of the gospel. If something's going to come, someone must come between God's position and my condition. Someone must step in the gap, and that is Christ's provision. The sinless Lamb of God is the sinner's substitute. Look at verses 6 and 7 in your Bibles. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth, the very place, where he said he was unclean. He touched him and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven and atoned for. Now you say, wait a minute, Chris, and I hope you are. I hope you're looking at your Bible and say, I don't, I don't see Jesus there. And you're right in one aspect. Christ is not mentioned there. But... The Lord sends one of the burning ones with a coal from the heavenly altar to touch the lips of Isaiah and cover his sinful heart until the Lord would send his suffering servant as the sinless Lamb of God who would be the sin bearer who satisfied the wrath of God as our substitute. You see it all pictures and points to what Christ will yet do. Now you say, Chris, does Isaiah know all this at this point? Well, not at this point, at the moment when he had this vision, but keep reading Isaiah and look at the servant songs. Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, 50, and especially Isaiah 53. And you see all the gospel revealed there. There must be a sinless substitute. There must be a bleeding lamb who is humiliated and then exalted as the roaring lion of Judah. It's all there promising and picturing the one to come. You see, Isaiah's experience in verses 6 and 7 pictures Christ's provision in the gospel. And I can't take you through all these specifically, but it pictures purification Purification, it pictures Christ's provision of purification. The burning coal pictures the fire of God that will eventually judge and cleanse us from our sin. It pictures satisfaction. The altar of God will eventually be satisfied with the blood of the Lamb who is slain for the sins of the world. This pictures transformation, those beautiful words, Behold, your sin is taken away. You are clean. That's transformation. He goes from woe and oh no to thank you. I am transformed. The power of God's spoken word that will eventually transform the hearts of sinners. And we see Christ's provision of reconciliation. 
the grace of God takes away the rebellion, cancels our sin debt, but is only based on the suffering servant who bears our sins, absorbs the wrath of God in our place, and God's wrath is satisfied and he is exalted to the right hand of the Father. You see, the gospel requires both a who and a what. Who will fulfill this picture? His name is Jesus. Jesus. Isaiah tells us he will be a sinless man. Isaiah 7, we see that in the Gospel of Luke. He will be a gracious God, according to Isaiah 9. We see that in the Gospel of John. He will be a conquering king, according to Isaiah 11. We see that in the Gospel of Matthew. He will be a suffering servant, and we see that in the servant songs fulfilled in the Gospel of Mark. You see, everything Isaiah is predicting, everything that Isaiah is experiencing is pointing to and will be fulfilled in the person of Christ. That's who he is. What will he do? He will suffer for our sins in our place. And he will rise exalted, victorious over sin and death. Read the servant songs of Isaiah. You will be blessed. This is the third essential of the gospel revealed. Without Christ's provision, no one will be saved. That's why we have this month. These nations, these people, there is no other way. There is no other message. There is no other Savior but Christ's provision, who He is, the God-man, and what He has done to atone for our sins. But sinners must respond, and that's the fourth essential. Our conversion, or your conversion, respond with faith and repentance. And we see this in verses 7 and 8. And it's amazing. The gospel revelation and proclamation calls for a response, and that response in the Bible is called conversion. Now, conversion's response is composed of two things, faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. Here's the response. Trusting by faith in the good news of Christ's provision. You say, where is that? That's in verse 7. The seraphim speak the good news, you are forgiven. And Isaiah implied, places his faith, doesn't do anything. He just simply accepts by faith the spoken word. That's faith. A wholehearted trust in what God has said he has done in the person, in the work of Christ. And then the second The flip side of that faith is repentance, turning in repentance from anyone or anything to live for Christ. You say, where is that? That's in verse 8. This man who just seconds earlier said, oh no, and had nothing more to say, now in verse 8 says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall sin? Who shall I send? And who will go for us? And all of a sudden, he just steps right up and says, Here am I, send me. That's a, uh, 
that's a 180-degree turn. That's repentance. He goes from, oh, no, I'm unworthy, to having the provision of Christ and saying, here am I. Send me a total change in heart and attitude. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of life. And when we turn from trusting ourselves and other people, we turn to God in his holy position and Christ in his gracious provision. Isaiah was already saved, but he still needed to apply the gospel. The gospel is not the ABCs of the preschool It's the A to Z of the entire Christian life. And we need this response on an ongoing basis. I pray that this month, I pray as our missionaries come, we will have the response of conversion, of faith and repentance as God reveals himself in the weeks to come. And this brings us to the fifth essential of the gospel Revealed, and it's this the new creation. The new creation. A new heart to bear new fruit. Look at verses 8 through 13. Now, this is the part of Isaiah 6 that gets overlooked, especially in mission conferences. But this is where the fruit of repentance is seen. This is where we see the new heart and the new creation. And I see at least four different changes in his life. First of all, there's an eagerness to serve God and share the good news. Who will go? I will go wherever you send me. Oh, that every one of us this month would just pray a prayer. Lord, wherever you send me, I will go. And if that is staying here and being a sender, so be it. If that's going and being sent, so be it. If that's being a welcomer of the nations that are in our neighborhoods, so be it. If that's being a mobilizer of others, Lord, let there be an eagerness to serve God. Those who have truly had the gospel applied to their lives, they respond with that. Secondly, a brokenness over the sins of others and their rejection. I mean, do you, we, we, here am I, send me in. In verse 9, God says, okay, I'm going to send you. And by the way, no one's going to listen to you. In fact, as you preach, you're going to harden their hearts with the word. No, here I am, send me. And nobody's going to listen. Sometimes ministry is that way. And sometimes witnessing is that way. But you know what? Isaiah had a changed heart towards sinners. And he says in verse 11, Lord, how long he laments the sin of others. He laments the hard-heartedness of others. That's part of the new creation. Thirdly, there's a boldness to share both the bad news and the good news of the gospel. As you read on in these verses, he is going to share the bad news of the coming exile, but then he shares the the good news of a remnant being saved. And folks, the gospel has bad news and good news. And we've got to share both. And we share it with a boldness and a confidence that this is the gospel revealed. And then finally, a faithfulness that perseveres until God completely fulfills his promises. 
Do you realize that Isaiah faithfully prophesied to hard-hearted Judah for more than 50 years? And history and tradition says that he was placed in a hollowed-out log and he was, that log was sawed in half. That's perseverance. That's faithfulness. But the hope is in verse 13. Judah is going to be like a burned down, cut down stump. But out of that stump comes a holy seed. The holy seed promised throughout the Old Testament. The holy seed, a babe born in a manger. The holy seed, a son of David. Out of that condemnation will come one who bears their condemnation. A sinless son of God who bears the wrath of God and that holy seed will grow into a tree and a kingdom that fills the earth. It says in Isaiah 25, 9, it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be joyous and be glad in his salvation. Those are the essentials of the gospel. God's position, our condition, Christ's provision, your conversion, new creation. But that gospel has to be applied. It has to be applied. The essentials of the gospel must be applied. God applies it, and you receive it by faith. As we end here this morning, notice the essentials of the gospel must be applied for the conversion of sinners for their salvation. Maybe you're here and you've never heard the, the essentials of the gospel. You never really understood God's position, your condition. You haven't been asked to receive Christ as your provision, to stand in your place, giving your sins. He gives you his righteousness. He declares you his own. You can be a new creation. But maybe you're already converted this morning, but you need cleansing. We all do the cleansing. Isaiah needed it. I need it. You need it. You need the gospel. And this is what the gospel must be applied for communication of the gospel from a changed life. More than ever, what this world needs to see is sinners saved by grace, beggars pointing other beggars, to the provision in Christ. But they've got to see a difference in our lives, in our mouths, in the way we think, and how we prioritize. And then finally, it must be applied for the commission to be fulfilled and celebrated. We'll talk more about that next week. But understand this, none of this, none of this happens. Nothing changes in missions without this gospel. Amen? It's the message, and it can be applied to your heart this morning. With our heads bowed and our, our eyes closed, and this is the time to respond. This is the response. The gospel has been revealed like Isaiah. Let's respond. And if you need help with that, fill out the connection card and mark, I need help. I need next steps. I need this explained. I need to help take that next step of faith 
in repentance. See us after the service. Father in heaven, we come and your gospel has been revealed to us this morning. Now, Lord, we pray that you would apply it for conversion. Apply it, let us confess our sin and for cleansing for those of us that know you. And Lord, may we commit ourselves afresh and anew this morning to sharing this gospel in our circle of influence. Lord, may we say like Isaiah, here am I, send me. We pray this in the blessed name of Jesus Christ. Folks, let's stand and sing. The provision is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Stand and sing with us.